Break Fix Podcast is all about capturing the living history of people from all over the autosphere, from wrench turners and racers to artists, authors, designers, and everything in between. Our goal is to inspire a new generation of petrol heads that wonder, how did they get that job or become that person? The road to success is paved by all of us because everyone has a story. Unparalleled passion for sports car racing is what GT Celebration is all about. Founded by Rob Morgan, president and CEO of Morgan Performance Group, or MPG for short, he worked to build this racing series from the ground up, utilizing both experience and passion with one mission, deliver a unique racing platform for drivers and teams to compete in a safe, adrenaline-filled, unforgettable environment. MPG features dozens of manufacturers and a wide range of race cars that compete in one of four series. And he's here tonight to explain how it all works. And joining me as co-host is Charlie Stryker from Max Track Time. So I want to welcome you both to Break Fix. Thank you for having me back on, Eric. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Eric. Charlie, Charles, not sure what you go by, but yeah, thank you guys for having me. So like all good stories, there's always a beginning. So Rob, tell us about the who, what, when, and where of you, Rob Morgan, the petrol head. How did you get into cars? How did you get into racing? Did it start as a kid? Did you come from a racing family? My mom said the first word I ever uttered was car. It's imprinted in my DNA, car, motorcycle, anything with wheels. I love cars, love racing, grew up around it. My dad actually started in motocross in the 70s. Ended up blowing out both knees and ended up going to four wheels. I'll jump ahead a little bit and say that's actually when MPG was first founded. Morgan Performance Group is actually what he raced under when he started doing SCCA and uh, IMSA GTU and his Dotson. So yeah, so I grew up around it, grew up at the racetrack, a lot of trips in the motorhome to the racetrack, and it was just an amazing experience. Not only did I love the cars and love everything, I couldn't wait till I could drive them myself, but it was just fun because that's what we did as a family as well. If I'm not mistaken, I detect a little bit of a Southern accent there. Did you grow up in NASCAR country? Well, I did, believe it or not. grew up in Arkansas. So I would definitely say that's NASCAR country for sure. But I I didn't drive in NASCAR till after a lot of years of sports cars. So my dad raced sports cars. I grew up racing sports cars. That was always what I wanted to do. Not much road racing going on in Arkansas. Back when I drove, there wasn't really karting in Arkansas. I mean, there was probably oval stuff, but that didn't interest me at the time. So I didn't really start driving until 1992. I went to driving school at Road Atlanta the month after I graduated high school and then entered my first Firestone Firehawk race a month later. So kind of thrown to the wolves. But my dad always had the theory that instead of going from an 80cc two-stroke, might as well go straight to the 250. My racing career was in cars was pretty similar. So I went from doing Firestone Firehawk to jumping right into an IMSA GTO car like a year later. So... Yeah, I was racing New Orleans Grand Prix street race, I think at 19 years old. Wow. When I went NASCAR racing, it was the same way. I mean, I'd never driven any ovals, definitely not a short track, uh, which was quite the experience doing it for the first time. But went straight to doing the truck series, did some races with Kevin Duran and David Dollar, who ended up being my partner later on. But in 1997, I raced a Ferrari 333 SP for a full season and then about five or six truck races. So I don't think you can get much different 
and the cars that you're driving <laughs> on a prototype uh, pickup truck. So it was fire hose. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned going to school and racing at the same time. That had to be hard because obviously you need to study at some point and all the races are on the weekend. And if you're super committed on the big stage, it's a week long affair for some of these races. And it's hard to just drop in, arrive and drive and go. I mean, some people do it, you know, they, they have that talent, they have that ability. Was school the building block for what became MPG? What did you go to school for? My degree is in marketing management from the University of Arkansas. I was lucky enough to have a lot of good pledge brothers that when I was gone off racing, they were taking good notes and I could stay fairly up to date with what was going on. But yeah, I mean, we would leave typically on a Wednesday afternoon and I would miss Thursday, Friday for sure. And then depending on when we got back, sometimes on Monday. But yeah, it was tough. But that was always the deal with my parents. It's like, okay, you can race, you can follow this dream and do this. But our caveat is you got to get a degree first. I mean, you have to have a degree to keep doing it. So if you grew up in the golden era of sports car racing, as we like to call it around here, who were some of your heroes? Who were some of the people you were looking up to during those times? (laughs) I always loved John Paul Jr., The transition from, let's say, the 935s to the prototypes was always just incredibly interesting to me. And I just thought the prototypes when they came out, the March and the 962 and some of these other cars were just, I mean, they look like spaceships to me. And then to go to Watkins Glen and before the bus stop, watch a 962 go down the back straightaway and the little whistle that it does when you shift the gear, I mean, it would just give me goosebumps. Yeah, it sounds like you have a bit of a driving background there. And so how did you end up making the transition from being a driver to uh, starting a series? Back in 2001, when I stopped driving in the Craftsman Truck Series full-time, I started a company in, in Orange County, California called TrueSpeed. TrueSpeed, when I started it, was basically just pre-owned sales of specifically air-cooled porches. And it was kind of before they were cool. I mean, everybody sells them and they're worth a ton of money now. But I started that in 2001, focusing on the 993 specifically, turned into quite a business. The euro was so strong to the dollar, 06 to 08. God, I was selling 30 cars a month to Germany. We were selling the cars so fast. I started my own service department, mainly for our own cars, which turned into clients, which turned into getting a 27,000 square foot facility. And then I was like, well, if I'm doing sales and service of street cars, let's do race cars. It's a logical conclusion. Yeah, especially it's an opportunity to maybe get back in the seat, right? So, so I started that. Porsche Motorsport North America is in Santa Ana, which was close to where I was. Went and met with those guys. At the time, the program I wanted to put together was just basically buying Porsche Cup cars, refurbishing them through Porsche Motorsport North America so they get the seal of approval and you know you're buying a good car. At the time, he's like, yeah, 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 we'll do that. Then they said, well, what we'd really like you to do is start a premier trackside service for Cup car owners, Southern California. So that's kind of what started True Speed Motorsports, which is still around. Sold it to my GM back in 2013. They're located out at the Thermal Racetrack now. But yeah, so I actually went from driving to team owner to sponsor to actually in 2017 did work for World Challenge. I was a GT class manager 
worked for Greg Gill and and those guys. And from there, and just I saw an opportunity. It started with the GT3 cars, continue to grow it today. We've had Greg Gill and a lot of other people on the show. So I'm really kind of interested to compare and contrast GT Celebration and some of the other classes against your experience, obviously in IMSA, but also in World Challenge. So what facilitated starting up a whole nother sanctioning body of racing? You know, it's a great question and it it was very calculated. So with my experience with True Speed, bought and sold a lot of three cars, of course, but we ended up doing a lot of race cars. I mean, I bought and sold probably a hundred race cars during that period. And then when I went to work for World Challenge, I noticed that, okay, the new generation of the GT3R comes out, the Dot 2. Well, to race in pro racing, you got to have the latest and greatest to compete and to win. And so these Dot 1 cars are still absolutely amazing cars. There's no reason they should be put to bed. And so they were ending up in gentlemen racers' hands with the growth of social media and everything else. I, I see all these cars that and I'm not taking anything away from NASA or SCCA club racing, but when you got a $400,000 GT3R racing against or on the track with a Mazda Miata, I mean, the right front corner of the GT3R costs what the, the Miata costs. So I put myself in those, if I were to be able to be in a position to buy one of those cars, would I not want to race against light cars? So that's kind of where the concept came from and providing them a fun and that's the key word, a fun, because none of these guys have to do it. A fun but professionally run series where these guys, because these guys are obviously all very successful, well-to-do, like things structured. And so that's basically where the idea came from, was given these, and I used to always say this when I was starting it, the guy you're racing against knows what the car costs. The guys you're racing against knows what it costs to get the car prepped, to get to the racetrack. And most importantly, he knows what it costs to fix it. And our guys, a lot of them, they could be running IMSA. They could be running SRO. They've definitely got the funding and the the ability. And some of them, like I say, some of them do have the ability, but just don't want the hassle. You know, you mentioned professionally run. So a thing that I was interested to hear about, uh, how do you guys handle the homologation and the BOP? Do you stick pretty close to how it was back in the series that they were running before? Or do you have your own kind of setup of rules? Nick Lester is obviously my partner. He was with Fortune Motorsport for many years and Honda and GM, but he's the technical side of things. But I'm I'm technical enough to, to understand what we need to do to make it fun, right? And so there's no way you're going to BOP a, a 2000 12 Audi R8 GT3 to a dot two GT3R. So what my idea was, and Nick's drawn the line in the sand of, of where these cars are divided, but we have a GT3 red and a GT3 yellow. So there's a split there just because of the generation of the car. The 2012 R8 is running against a 997 GT3R, which that alone makes it a lot easier. And, and it's obviously for all models. I'm just using the Porsche and the Audi just because I'm more familiar. But then we also, we have this saying, we want to make tech fun again. We know we have to manage and balance these cars somehow because they were never meant to be run uncorked. I mean, if you run a GT3R against an uncorked Evo Lamborghini, it would be a joke. So we have to do something. But one thing we do is we kind of start, look at what SRO and MSR are doing as far as baseline. We don't dive deep into the details. What we do is we do a weight, a minimum ride height, and restrictors. 
and that's it. Allegation question was always the one that was interesting to me because I know, you know, like for the P3 car, for example, if you're testing, you got to move the camera back from where it's homologated to DNM so that you can actually see the driver's hands and whatnot, and then move it back to the race, you'll get a safety infraction. Have you relaxed any of those rules specifically around the cars to allow people to service the car that they want to have? I don't want to say it's run what you brung. I mean, it's definitely an LMP3 homologated car, preferably first generation. We will allow the new ones, but we're also letting the Orica, the old LMPC open cockpit cars run with us. So that's our top prototype class. And then we have a prototype light, which is for revolutions, radicals, and, and stuff like that. What I said earlier, let's make tech fun again. We're not here to make people jump through hoops for no reason, quite frankly. As far as like you're, you mentioned the cameras, I mean, yeah, we want a forward-facing camera. We would love a rear-facing camera just because if things do happen. But no, we're not going to get into the minute details. One thing I've always said is this is going to morph into whatever it morphs into. Some of that stuff may be needed down the road. We may have to get a little more strict and we may have to change things, and which is fine. But if it's for the betterment of the sport and of the series, we're okay with it. If it's just to do it, to do it, to say we can do it, no, that's not how we do things. You know, with a lot of these cars, you know, recently out of homologation, they were running on a spec tire, kind of strict rules. Do you guys have an open tire rule or how do you guys manage that? We're sponsored by Pirelli. Couldn't do it without them. They take really good care of us. And quite frankly, the early days went to a lot of races and supported us when they shouldn't have. Just renewed with them for another few more years. The GT Celebration, Cup Celebration, M2 Celebration, all run on the Pirellis. One thing we've noticed with the LMP cars is a lot of those guys don't like running the Pirellis on them for whatever reason. Pirelli claims that, and I'm sure they're right, setup needs to be drastically different from running on a, a Michelin, but we just don't want that to be a hiccup. So our prototype class, and then also too with the revolutions and the radicals, Pirelli has a tire for it, but it's in Europe. And so we'd have to bring them all over here. So it, to try to motivate people to come over and try us out in the LMP class, we just felt it was best to leave that open. And Orazio and everybody at Pirelli, and not only Pirelli North America, but in Europe was nice enough to allow us to do that which they didn't have to. So we really appreciate them doing that. At the end of the day, they succeed if we succeed. They looked at the bigger picture. And even though they may not agree with our where our mindset is, they allowed us to do it, which was very nice of them. If somebody's cheating at this level, it's like there's no reason for you to be there. But it's more about having fun. But we also take the liberty as well is we want it to be fun and exciting for the guys. We don't want an Andy Wilsock, a Brent Martini to just lap the field, which they can do sometimes because those are two guys that can definitely race in the upper leagues. But the guys that are maybe not as experienced, have good cars, putting the time in, go to the races, we may help them out, help them with restrictor, help them with weight. And it's mainly just to keep it more exciting for them. We want them to come back. I'm not saying we're going to let them go 30 miles an hour faster down the straightaway. That's not what we're trying to do. But it's our goal to have the whole field come by within 
a legitimate amount of time and not the winner's already in pit lane and the the last place guy is crossing the finish line. So Charlie segued right into talking about the logistics of the program itself. So let's unpack that a little bit more and talk about how the MPG series is broken down. There's obviously four different classes in there, but you mentioned even within your GT3 class, you split between a red and a yellow. You're talking multi-class in the same session, or is there a run group specifically for red and one for yellow? Or how does this all break down? How does a day of racing play out? What we did at our last event at Coda is kind of a prelim of what we're going to be doing this year. One thing we did, we've noticed Nick and Kelly and I is for this series to grow, you got to have a different product. You can't just have one product running on the track. I mean, you're, you're limited as to how much that can grow. So we realized over the last few years that having our own product, developing our own product, controlling our own weekends is key to, to growing this and making it successful. Let's use GT Celebration because that's at this point now, it's just a class within MPG. So GT Celebration is GT3 cars, red and yellow, GT4. And we're considering now with all the new GT4 cars coming out, eventually splitting those as well. First generation Aston Martin sure as hell can't keep up with a new GT4 Cayman. There's just no way. I think that's down the road, but we can see that coming. And then what we've done the last three years, it will run when we do have prototypes, we've run the prototypes with the GT cars. We've moved on from that. And now we're going to have a prototype celebration class, a cup celebration class. Some events we're going to do M2 celebration, the BMW M2s. So that's mainly West Coast. A typical Friday is three 40-minute sessions. Saturday, Sunday is the same schedule, which is a 30-minute practice, 20-minute qualifying, and then a 40-minute long race. With the prototypes, it's a little different because a lot of those drivers also have pro coaches like Colin Braun and Matt Bell and some of these other guys. So we want to find a way to incorporate those guys into coming to some events with their drivers that they coach. So Saturday event for the prototype will be a 50, 60 minute enduro. The gentleman will qualify it. The pro will start it. But the thing is, the pros got to bring the car back in one piece for the gentleman driver. So that's why we did that, because you put the pros in at the end of the race, might not have all the cars on Sunday. You partially answered my question. I was going to ask if you guys were ever considering doing something like an enduro format. Are you guys ever looking at doing any sort of special events where you run along with another series or something like, you know, like F4, F3 will go and run with IndyCar at a time or something like that? Is that on the radar at all? A little bit. I mean, our, our Road Atlanta event is with Formula Drift. And so it has been for the last three years. And it, it's actually an incredible weekend. I mean, they, they'll bring in thirty to 50,000 spectators for that event. You go through the festival area at Road Atlanta before you come back down the hill. I mean, they've got tents set up. The drivers just love it because they actually feel like somebody's there to watch them. And then after the race, a lot of the fans come down to our paddock and look at the cars and get exposed to it, something they don't see every day. So we've done that a little bit. We tried to do an event at Sebring a few years ago, the week before the 12 hour. It was with MCL MP3, and we were going to be a support event. We couldn't get the traction. Come to find out, we just think with IGT, MSA, PCA that's going there that time of year, it's just Sebring's overdone. But yeah, we've had some opportunities to go and do that. I mean, we run with the USAC guys, Porsche Sprint Challenge from time to time. Really like working with those guys. Great group of guys. But as far as 
big time events? Probably not. And here's why it's because, like I said earlier, a lot of our guys, most of them for that matter, could, like I say, do MSA or SRO, but they choose to run with us because it's, you don't have the jacked up hotel prices. You don't have all this crazy security. They go, they have fun, they race against their buddies. And it's just a low-key weekend. And that's what they enjoy. All of this is really exciting. And so I like the fact that you're giving the opportunity for some of these older cars to still come out and play and folks to be able to utilize the investment that they've made in these cars. So my question is, how old is too old? You know, you mentioned driving the trucks and then a 333 SP. If somebody, you know, was willing to insure something like a 333 SP to come out and run and prototype, is that allowed? Or is there like a minimum age that these cars need to hit to be allowed to run in the, in the different series? No, it has to fit within that window with that type of car, that type of class. With the prototype edition, we've been asked, well, can we do Daytona prototypes? Well, at the end of the day, we have to be able to police it. And we also don't want it to look like a run with you, Brown. We want the cars to look similar, be similar, have similar performance. And that's where I was talking about. If we got to split classes up based on the age of the car, then we'll do that. I mean, we all need car count, right? But at the same time, you got to stick to what the series was founded on and what's bringing the customers there and, and why they're interested. I mean, we're getting a lot of LMP3 interest from guys that have been doing HSR and some of these other classes because... They're taking their LMP3 cars to these events, but they're classified with LMP2 and LMP1. I mean, they got to beat an LMP1 Audi to get on the podium. You've got to draw the line somewhere. It's got to fit into that mold. And the GT classes obviously make sense. GT3, GT4, like you said, some of the older GT2 cars by today's standards are probably as fast as a GT3 car, even though they were class up. So I'm sure you guys make exceptions for all that. But I'm really curious about the cup class. Is that specifically relegated to Porsches or do you have like M4 competition in there? Maybe some S4s, other vehicles like that that maybe competed in World Challenge back in the day. What qualifies for cup classing? I'm going to use Nick's terminology. It's as delivered from Porsche. However, we don't have any affiliation with Porsche Motorsport North America. And I don't want this to sound bad, but quite frankly, don't want to. And the reason I say that is because there are so many Porsche Cup cars that have had engines rebuilt by Autometrics out of South Carolina, not rebuilt by Porsche Motorsport. Well, that car that's had an engine rebuilt by Gordon and those guys can't run in a Porsche-sanctioned event. And to answer your question, we're going to go from a 997.2 to a 992-cup is our window. But the engine doesn't have to be sealed by Porsche. The gearbox doesn't have to be sealed by Porsche. It's given these guys another place to go run. And some of the mindset behind it was once Autometrics started racing with us pretty much full-time, they've got a very large PCA contingency that they take to these bigger events. Road America, for example, there would be 70 cars in a run group with cup cars, Caymans, GT3Rs, and it's gotten to be pretty physical. It's not quality track time, which is what we provide and what we pride ourselves on. It's not only a lot, but quality. I mean, the most cars to me you want to put on Laguna, 25 to 30. I'm not going to sell a 40-car field at Laguna. I mean, we're just not going to do that. 
because it starts taking away from the product. What we're doing is giving these guys another option because if you have a 991.1, pretty much the only place you can race it is NASA or some other type of PCA, POC, but just giving them another place to go look at, to go run the car. Going back to the race weekend, you mentioned, you know, when you partner with, let's say, Formula Drift, you, you know, you have tens of thousands of spectators. What's it like for a spectator coming to an MPG weekend? Are there spectator fees? Are the races televised? Like, what would somebody expect going there for the first time? So we are starting to get traction. I mean, like I say, we're going into our fourth year. We do have people that either look at our website or follow the tracks website that we're going to see that we're coming. And we get quite a few emails about what the costs are, but no, we don't charge a gate fee. The track may at some like the Formula Drift. They don't charge a gate fee to get into our paddock. We're in the old paddock outside the front straight. But most all of our events are come hang out, check it out. Did have an instant. We were at VIR with USAC. The track was getting so many people coming out and wanting to see it that the track started charging. Of course, USAC and us, we didn't see a penny of that, but we don't care to. And then, then as far as the TV, I mean, we would love to live stream. It's not as much for sponsors, which we do have some. And also, we're going to be announcing some new ones, some pretty nice ones actually coming in the next few weeks. But it's mainly for these guys to say, hey, tell their buddies, I'm going to race my car this weekend, check it out on this YouTube channel or, or what have you. It, it's mainly just another avenue to, to build interest and keep this thing going. Sounds like the big impetus behind a lot of this is to give guys a fun place, an experiential place to race. Is there any sort of hospitality or anything provided by the series to kind of elevate that? We have a, a very nice 53-foot transporter that we take to the events. One side is hospitality. The other side is for tech. We always have a uh, either a Friday night or a Saturday night beer and wine party with food. And some races we barbecue for everybody. Like Because the Formula Drift thing, we run during the day and then they run at night. What we'll do, I think it's Saturday night we do it there, is we'll do a barbecue, have fun, have some drinks, and then everybody will go in the golf cart or whatever and go over the Formula Drift thing. But we're not far long enough yet to have a typical Ferrari Challenge or a Carrera Cup type of hospitality. Definitely looked at it, and it's definitely something that's interesting. It's a whole nother event in itself. We're a small organization. It's full-time. It's me, Nick, and Mallory. Kelly pops in every now and then. But yeah, we're a small organization. We've got a, a business office, and but it's for the most part, it's more doing what we can do to keep this thing rolling between really the three or four of us. I host test events where I offer catering and all that stuff. And I hear you 100%. The second you add hospitality in, it's a whole other level of for sure. It is. And it's nice. And we would all love to do it. It's just, you've got to have somebody full-time just taking care of that. And uh, that actually raised another interesting question. So it looks like you've got some really cool tracks here lined up. I'm seeing Apex Motor Club. You've got Spring Mountain. You've got Sonoma, Utah, which I love that facility. And it looks like I saw Flat Rock, I think, somewhere on there. Yeah. What goes behind your uh, track selection there? Flat Rock's interesting. I'll, I'll get into the other ones as well. But we've been talking about our Road Atlanta event. At Road Atlanta, we're also with Global Time Attack. And we see this guy out there running his Cayman GT4. And we walked over to him and said, hey, why don't you come race with us? And he goes, well, I've never done wheel to wheel. And then we kind of, Kelly talked to him for a little bit and understood what his experience was. And we said, well, why don't you come run with us? He's like, okay. And actually brought one of his buddies too. And it was Rusty Biddle. 
who is actually the guy that's doing the track. We knew that track was coming quite a few years ago, actually. But yeah, that's how that came about. Rusty's been a good supporter of ours. And I think it's going to be an amazing facility. I think they're doing it the right way. Little concern they're having supply chain issues and some weather issues. So I hope that doesn't throw a kink in it, but we're excited about it. Everything else is destination. At the end of the year, we put out a questionnaire. Where would you like to go? I mean, some of the places you're just, you got to go to, right? I mean, you got to go to Laguna and, and Road America, which we're not going to either this year, but there's stories behind that. But yeah, there's just places you got to go to. We got a lot of feedback of people wanting to go to Watkins Glen. So we're going there, obviously. VAR, people love VAR. So we're going to go back there. Laguna, which is my favorite track with their repave and Rimsport. We quite frankly couldn't get a date because we have to run unlimited sound. And with the repave, they're giving all those unlimited sound dates to IndyCar teams to test there. We got put on the side burner with. Elkhart, we just couldn't get a date. There were dates there that we could nab, but they didn't make sense with what we already had in place. But the big thing is we listen to our customers, see where the teams are that run with us and try to maximize that. So I was scribbling down names because you've been name dropping tracks left and right, you know, between Road America and Road Atlanta and the Glen and Coda and Laguna and Sebring and BIR and Flat Rock and Spring Mountain. And I mean, the list goes on and on. Is there a track that you call home? I would say Laguna. A couple of years ago, we ran that twice. A lot of the teams like True Speed and some of these other Flying Lizard used to run with us a lot because we were specifically just West Coast the first year or so. so. We got a lot of West Coast support. So I would say Laguna. I love Sonoma. We struggled there a little bit to get traction. And, and I don't know why. And they're, quite frankly, one of the best tracks to work with. But yeah, I would definitely say Laguna. Let's talk about the key differentiators between the MPG racing series, which includes GT Celebration, Cup Celebration, Prototype, M2, et cetera, versus SRO World Challenge and IMSA. What really sets you apart from those other organizations? I, I know this sounds kind of cliche-ish, but it's, we want it to be fun. When Greg Gill and I worked together, I always told him, especially growing up around it, I saw it. The backbone of sports car racing was built on the gentleman racer. And they're the ones that provide these guys the opportunities, field the cars. I mean, quite frankly, the manufacturers come in there sometimes and, and screw that up. If the gentleman racer isn't having fun, he can go buy a boat. He can go buy an airplane. He can just travel. So what we want to do is provide a place that it has structure. We don't want to be the level of structure of SRO or MSA. Our guys could do that. I mean, they definitely could. They have the funding and the ability, but they just don't want to. And again, I'm not taking anything away from club racing, but they don't want to necessarily run club racing anymore. They've all done it because they've had to get the experience somewhere. We're between that club level racing in that MSA, SRO, USAC. We feel there's a real gap there that needs to be filled. And that's what we're trying to provide. Another thing we pride ourselves on is Kelly Collins, myself, and Nick are all owners of the series. We consider ourselves, and this is another thing that series don't typically have the ability to do, we're nimble. I mean, if something comes up, something needs to be decided, whether it's even changing the schedule of the weekend, three of us will sit down in a room, talk about it. And if we feel like we're not all on the same page, we'll have a vote. Majority wins. But we'll make a decision quick and easy. I mean, at Road Atlanta this year, weather looked iffy for the afternoon race. So we swapped the schedule around, talked to the drivers about it. 
they were all cool and made qualifying a race. We ended up saving a race. Either that or the guys are going to be out there in a rain race. And at this level, I don't think many of them would have gone out, quite frankly. It's a great service. And I think a lot of us see that as well, but it also gives people stepping stones. So you're not jumping straight out of a spec Miata into IMSA. You can work your way up through the system if you want to. I mean, if you have the ability and the talent and, and the funding to jump from one to the other, by all means, but this is a great way to make your way through the system you know, with a stop in GT celebration or an M2 or whatever it might be with your organization. So I think this is a really great thing. Thank you. And I mean, uh, you look at a guy like, let's say Jason Harward, he ran his first race with us. He's zealous motorsport runs in GT America and SRO young guy, very successful ran actually his first semi-pro race with us. I knew we weren't going to keep a guy like Jason in the paddock. I mean, he's young, fit, well-to-do, we knew he was going to move up, but yeah, exactly what you said. We knew we could provide a place for him to run and gain experience and, and go on to the next level. But let's look at a guy like Jim Slavic or Kevin Westcott, older guys per se. They've got ability. They can win races, but they have no desire to go run in SRO. And I'm sure I've had plenty of opportunities, teams beating them up and coming to do events, but it's not in their wheelhouse and what they're interested in doing. That makes a very valid point. Not only can you move up the ladder, you can come back down too. So if you feel like, you know, the big stage is too big and you want something a little bit more relaxed, you don't have to go all the way back down to, you know, SCCA if you don't want to. You have this stopgap in between, which is great. But it begs another question because you see it in IMSA and SRO, which is the classification of drivers. So do you guys utilize a metric or a system like a gold, silver, or bronze qualification for drivers? Or is drivers just drivers, the car BOP is what it is? Let's start with GT Celebration, which was the original series and kind of what sparked all this. GT Celebration was founded on bronze drivers and below. What's crazy is you look at a guy like Andy Pilgrim, he's technically a bronze. But there's no way Andy Pilgrim is a Bronco. <laughs> it's founded on bronze drivers and below, especially in the GT3 class. GT4, we've kind of let some of the, like Andy's and some of these other guys come in. Johnny O'Connell is probably a bronze. But James Soprona says bronze. You get those guys in there and it, some of the other drivers like it. Hey, I race against Johnny O'Connell. I race against Andy Pilgrim. But then... Other guys don't like it because it's taking podium spots away from them. So it's a happy balance. And and like I say, as far as BOP and what we do, we really, really try to keep it bronze and below. If we do have a true silver that wants to come, we've crossed that a couple of times. We run them in exhibition. We just put an exhibition class on them. And they don't care. Those guys that are at that level aren't coming to, to win trophies. They just want to get the track experience or tests or whatever. And they typically don't care. But yes, prototype's a little different. I mean, we'll let pros, we'll let goals, we'll let whoever, because we want to help motivate them to bring the guys that they coach, their gentleman drivers. And the reason, quite frankly, we don't do an enduro with the GT3 cars is they're just so expensive to operate. They're expensive to fix. A lot of those guys don't want anybody else in their car unless it's their pro setting a data lap or something like that. They don't necessarily want to pay for driver damage of a race from 
Joel Miller getting in the car, not that Joel would hurt a car, but getting in the car and, and having something happen. So where the prototypes are a lot more cost effective to run. Since we're still sort of talking about differentiators between the MPG series, SRO and, and IMSA, et cetera, is we spent a lot of time last year with World Challenge kind of following them around and being part of the press corps and things like that. So you kind of learned the inner workings of the series as well. And one of the things that just baffled me outside of not being totally thrilled with balance of power as a concept in general was the way they conducted the restarts of their races. So they do tend to follow a lot of the rules from the European side of SRO, which is interesting into itself. And I see how IMSA does things, right? If there's a yellow condition, people check up. And then when it goes green, everybody goes green again. You're kind of where you are behind the pace car. There's not this, oh, we're going to take a lap and catch up and reorganize and all this kind of stuff. So I saw a lot of fire drills happening in the other series. So I'm wondering, how do you guys handle caution situations and the restart of a race? Because, you know, event after event, it was an interesting debate as how they were going to handle that. At our level, it, luckily, it hasn't been as much of an issue. A gentleman club racing is much different than top level pro racing. Definitely understand what you're saying. Been there, done that, wrote the book. But with us, quite frankly, it hasn't been much of an issue. But my experience with World Challenge, I was in race control quite a few times and voiced my opinion of what should be done. And I wasn't listened to, but I know where you're coming from and I know what you're saying. But if we see that there could be an issue because we know our group, we know who's running with us. If we got a, a slower GT4 guy between two GT3 guys that we've been watching, they're going to end up racing each other for position at the end. I'll notify Casey or Kelly will because we're, we're watching what's going on with everybody. And we'll say, hey, will you talk to the guys on pit lane and just see if so-and-so will give so-and-so a wave by and at that point, it's up to the uh, other driver. It's purely for safety and for equipment. And they don't have to. Uh, it's just a question. But we do as much as we can. And with Kelly and myself being racers, we see what's going on. We see what's transpiring. We're paying attention. And so we try to avoid that stuff as much as we can. Been lucky so far. As car count increases, those incidents are going to increase for sure. And SRO definitely has a lot of cars. So that's going to be an issue. And then we just do what we can to manage it. And then not to say that that's an issue, but hopefully someday we get enough cars that we really got to start paying attention to that. It becomes a good thing, right? When you get to that yeah. point, which is actually a great segue into our penultimate question here, which is what's next for MPG and GT celebration. What's the next five years look like? What's on the horizon? Verbally agreed. We're going to have a fuel sponsor, Sunoco is going to be our fuel sponsor. And then Ironclad has always been a uh, product sponsor of ours. And they were a team sponsor when I had True Speed, but they're big supporters. Coda, they did a lot of activation. They really enjoyed that. They've got a new company that bought them out that's progressing, which is always a good thing for us. When I had this concept and I started it, it was always the intention to grow it into other classes and other, I don't want to say series, but additional classes. And so now that we've made that step, and this is our first full year of, of controlling all the race weekends ourselves, controlling our own content, it's going out there and perfecting the product, making it a destination place where people do want to come, listening to the driver, team owners, what they're looking for as a place to go race and take their customers. I think our base is now built. And what you see is what we're going to have for the next five years. We've got one other exciting thing 
going that maybe one event this year we thought it was going to be three but i think it's going to turn a lot of heads if it comes together it's going to be pretty cool and that would be a vir but but yeah it's just perfecting the product and getting people to come to the racetrack and try us out and i don't want to sound like i got a big head or anything but once they do come try the series out they love it i mean the guys love it of course you're going to have a few here and there that didn't like this or didn't like that but nobody's perfect but I mean, it's a lot of track time. It's good track time. It's well run. And like you said earlier, we go to good tracks. So since we're talking about futures, let's just take one more quick look down the past. So Rob, if you could give some advice to aspiring racers, folks that may be looking to get out of SCCA and NASA and whatever. And as you look back over your career, maybe some do's and don'ts for these younger drivers as they're coming up through the system, you know, any words of wisdom? It's all about seat time. If you can get in a Mazda Miata and go drive it all day, Saturday and Sunday, go do it. It's all about seat time, perfecting your craft. One of the things I always used to get asked from, especially when I was driving in, in NASCAR was, who do you think the best driver is in the world? And my answer was always, he's sitting on his couch at home. They look at me like, what do you mean? I said, this sport is not like a stick and ball sport where you can just have the talent and make it. And that's where you got to have the funding and the resources to get that shot, to get out there and do it. As much as anything, advice would be is just don't give up. If you can't afford to, to necessarily drive, help out on the team. Just have that mindset and never give up. And any opportunity you can get seat time, no matter what it is, hop in it. Well, with that, Rob, any shout outs, promotions, or anything else you'd like to share that we haven't covered thus far? Touched on a little bit earlier, just Pirelli, Orazio and, and Bob at Frisbee. And like I say, those guys, they've stuck it, stuck it out with us. And I cannot thank them enough. And like I mentioned earlier, too, went to quite a few races where they had no business being there. I know they lost money. Really appreciate them and those guys sticking with us. It's been a growth for us and everybody at MPG and GTC. We've been lucky enough to have a few teams that have really supported us and, and what we're doing. And Chicago Performance with Al has been a great supporter with his driver, Michael. Speed Club with Rex and Paul and True Speed, of course, my old team and Autometrics is really coming on board and, and supporting us and, and quite frankly, and changing a lot of their program around to be centered around us. So it's exciting stuff for us and, and we just continue that to grow, but couldn't do it without guys like Alex and Gordon and Paul and Rex and Tyler and the list goes on, but those guys have been really supportive of what we're doing and we, we really appreciate it. Quite frankly, our whole team, just the dedication from Chris and Brock, our logistics guys. I mean, they're making trips daily. Chris is rebuilding all of our scale pad equipment, reorganizing the tractor trailer truck, and Brack's doing all the shuttling. I mean, it just takes a team effort. Chris Lester, Nick's son, does a lot of our financial forecasting. Pam back in Arkansas does all of our business side of things and sure as hell couldn't do it without her. And, and of course, Mallory. I mean, Mallory's been a godsend. Definitely couldn't do it without her. And great group of people. We get along really well, but when we get to the racetrack, we take care of business, but at the same time, we have a good time. Where racing, fun, and camaraderie come together. Racing that's been designed by enthusiasts for enthusiasts. That's the Morgan Performance Group motto. 
To learn more about GT Celebration and the other programs in the MPG series and how you can become part of them, be sure to check out www.mpg-racing.com or follow them on social at RaceMPG on Instagram, at Morgan Performance Group on Facebook, and at GT Celebration 3529 on YouTube. So with that, I cannot thank you guys enough for coming on the show, especially Rob for coming on and sharing the newest, hottest racing sanctioning body that's out there right now. You know, personal favorite for me, sports car racing. So this is great to see more cars out there, especially these older ones back on the track, giving them a second life, an opportunity for all these drivers to get out there. And thanks to Charlie for coming on the show and co-hosting with me and kind of digging deeper into this story. So thank you both for doing this. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. And I'm glad you guys are behind what we're doing and, and believe in it. So thank you very much. Eric, thank you for having me back on. And Rob, thank you for sharing the story. This sounds like a really cool series. I think the idea behind creating a fun environment for bronze is to bring these recently out of homologation cars. Sounds like a great value. Thank you. We believe in it. We're going to keep charging forward. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.